0: So today we're continuing our way through the, the book of Luke. Um, this is this um, book that was uh, written by a man named Luke. So I'm sure that's surprising to everyone. Um, and he was a physician, very well educated, uh, writing to give people certainty about the the hope of of the gospel and about the the truth of, of God's word. And so we've been looking at this this series of. Announcements of um, good news of the birth of um, John the Baptist of of Mary. Last week we, we looked at how the the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and, and let her know that she would conceive a um, a child and um, that he would be great, be the the son of God. And so we find ourselves today in um, verse thirty nine of Luke one. If you if you don't have a a Bible with you, you can you can find this on page. Eight fifty-six, 56, and there, there are some pew Bibles near you if that's something you need. So again, uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town, town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for um, the joy that you've given us. We thank you for uh, this the story of Elizabeth and, and, and Mary. And Lord, we pray that, that you would use it to comfort and encourage us um, in you, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I'm a fairly f- fundamentally disorganized person. Um, and that I, It takes a lot of work to, to keep my organization together. So I read a lot of, of um, organizational books um, tr- from time to time. And one of the more helpful ones is pretty famous. It's called um, Getting Things Done by David Allen. Um, and it's, it's really useful for disorganized people like me, just of how to structure to-do lists and all these kinds of things. Uh, but one of the things that, that he talks a lot about is essentially a way of deciding how to respond to the different things that come into your life, kind of the, the different inputs. And so he has, you have a digital inbox, a physical inbox, and so you can put all your random thoughts and things you need to do, things you need to respond to, things you want to do in the future, and then a way of kind of processing all of these um, inputs. So you say, well, what is it? Um, can I do anything with it? If not, you just, you throw it away, or file it, or you put it on your calendar to deal with later. Uh, or if you can deal with it, you decide, is it multi-step? And if it's multi-step, you put it on a projects list. And so you, know, you don't need to learn his whole system right now. But the, the main idea, though, is that um, there's a way of being able to say, when, it, when something comes into our life, is it actually important? <laughs> do I need to do something with it now? How do I respond in, in a given situation? And what what we see in as we think about Christianity is a very similar idea that when when Jesus comes into our lives in different ways when he comes into the the inbox of our of our heart how do we respond do we say all right I don't need to do anything with this just kind of throw it in the trash do we say all right someday maybe I'll deal with this and so I'll defer action on it put it on my my calendar to think about it a future time or do we take some sort of action actually in the moment and so what is the appropriate response to to Jesus and what we see here in the, this passage from Luke is Jesus coming into the the experience of these these people back in the in the first century they' coming into the to the inbox of their life. And so we see their responses in, in different ways to Jesus. Um, and so really what we'll do is we'll look at the response of the, these three individuals in our text, the response of Mary, John, and Elizabeth, and really how each of their individual responses teaches us something really important about how we actually respond to Jesus here today in the modern world in, in Garnet Valley. So the, so first, let's look at the response of Mary. And last week, we said that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, announced uh, virgin conception, and uh, said that she would give birth to a son through the power of the Holy Spirit, and and that he would be great, he would be the son of God, he would rule and reign forever as the Davidic king. He would be called Jesus because... He would save his people from their sins. And, um, but then Mary asked a question. She said, well, how am I going to know that this is going to be? And, and it wasn't a question that was com- coming from a place of unbelief, uh, but, a play, uh, just, but still that question, how is this going to happen? And so the angel told her that her relative, Elizabeth, uh, had conceived and she's older, so it was a miraculous conception as well, and that she was going to, to give birth to a son who's going to be the, the herald of the Messiah. And so as soon as the angel left, then Mary gets up and she heads out the door. And that's what we see in, in verse 39. If you look there in your Bible, it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And so the the basic setting's pretty clear. Uh, Mary travels from that backwater community of Nazareth in in northern Israel all the way south to the hill country of Judea. So this is around the the region of Jerusalem. And it was probably about a hundred-mile trek. Probably would take about... Uh, Three days. Um, I mean, so that would be a hard, hard trip for a young girl. I mean, she's in her teens, most likely. We don't know if she was going alone or going uh, with someone else. But we have to wonder: Why is this? Why does she go in haste? Why does she go? It seems um, immediately to visit Elizabeth. And it's always kind of dangerous, and when when we're reading the Bible, to psychologize the different figures and. And try, Especially if the text doesn't say, what are they thinking? What are their, their deep inner motivations? But I do think here that we can have a little bit of sanctified speculation and guessing about um, why she's doing what she's doing. That she, she clearly believes, Elizabeth, at the end of our text, recommends her, her faith and her belief in the promises of God. But I still think that she was longing for the encouragement of being around somebody who was also experiencing this mighty power of God at work in her life. Because she and Elizabeth are in similar circumstances um, of the of this miracle of conception in, in, in different ways. Elizabeth is a wise, older, godly woman. And I think Mary as well knew that she was going to have some some difficult times coming down the pike. I mean, she was going to, going to be misunderstood, potentially rejected by a lot of people for uh, being pregnant out of wedlock. And so she, she doesn't retreat to the desert. She doesn't go to solitude. Um, but she actually is actively seeking out community, seeking out another believer for mutual encouragement and, and mutual strength. And I think that that is all a really great example for us as well, that you know, we may not be in Mary's situation. None of us are. Um, but yet when, when things are hard or, or when there's some difficulty in our lives, uh, it can be difficult, tempting at least to kind of retreat by ourselves. And yeah, there's a place for, for solitude for sure. But, but what we see here is just a great picture where she, she knows, hey, I want to be around somebody who who believes and who is experiencing God's work, and I want that that mutual strengthening and encouraging. And I think that that's something that that we're called to as well, and it's actually a really natural response to an encounter with Jesus. That Jesus comes into our life and he encourages uh, encourages us and, and drives us into community with other people who are also experiencing His work. But that's not the the only lesson that we we learn from Mary here in our text, because after she arrives at Elizabeth's home, um, they, they interact, and we'll talk more about that in a second, but in, in verse 46, so right after the passage that I heard read, Mary launches into what's called the Magnificat. It's named for just the, the first word of, of what she says in, in Latin, and it's this beautiful song of, of praise to God. Again, we'll, we'll talk about it next week, but just look at that the first verse there, the, uh, the first two verses, what she says, verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So you notice just the, the two parts, that she is magnifying God. You know, you think of putting a magnifying glass over something, just making it look larger. The, um, not that we make God look larger, but it's pointing to God and saying that, that he is, He's great, He's majestic, He's, he's holy, that, that He's doing mighty, incredible things through Jesus to save His people from their sins. But then also that the second response she says is that she rejoices in God, her Savior. I mean, she she recognizes her spiritual need of a savior. And and she could have been tempted to go into just a place of of spiritual depression um, because she's she's going to be rejected, she's going to face hardship, and hardship that actually is going to follow her all the way to the to the cross. I mean, of watching her her son die um, and suffer. But her response here is not is not fear, but it's that she rejoices, and so there's this this wellspring of joy that comes up in her in a, in a response to to Jesus entering into her life. And it's so similar to us that that this response of, of joy is that just the natural response to to Jesus coming to our life. But you might say, okay, well if, if joy is, is a natural response, what does this actually look like? And, and we see then, a really good picture of joy in the next person in our text. So we just looked at Mary, but notice that the reaction of, of John the Baptist. Um, and remember that, that the angel Gabriel had announced his birth six months earlier to Zechariah in the temple. Um, and, and God said that his wife Elizabeth would have a child, um, and that this child would be uh, the great herald who would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord, to have the people ready to receive um, their Savior. And so then when, when Mary enters the, this room with Elizabeth, our, our text does something very, very interesting. Look at verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And so the, this six-month-year-old baby somehow senses the presence of, of of Jesus, probably through the the Holy Spirit. And there's this this physical reaction of this this fetal movement. I mean, I remember that from when my wife Grace w- was pregnant, you know, just the the occasionally there's that really solid kick, you know. So you even wonder for Elizabeth, I mean, did it hurt? What did it like what kind of what does it mean for somebody to leap um in the womb? And it, But so she she feels her her child moving, and we probably wouldn't know why. Maybe it's just a coincidence. But then later in our passage in verse 44, Elizabeth, as she's filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to actually interpret what is going on in her womb. Look there. Elizabeth says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting, Mary, came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And so it, it wasn't a, a coincidence that the, this this unborn child sensed the presence of Jesus and responded, as it says, with joy. That the the leap was was motivated by rejoicing and joy in the presence of Christ. And and really, I mean, you think of of a response a six month year old child can only have so many responses. He can't say anything yet. Uh, he can't. Um, do any sort of action outside of that. And in a way, it's his first prophetic action, right? That, that it, was sa- it says that he was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the angel had actually told um, his father that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so here we see that being fulfilled, that even from his mother's womb, he's responding to Christ, and I think that this is just a side note. It teaches us something very important about the inherent dignity and personhood of of unborn children. That what what's here isn't just a, a mass of cells or a random organization of, of tissue, but it's a human person created in the, the image of God with with value, a distinct identity. And we even know from from science that, that Babies in the womb can, after a certain point, can can feel pain, can, are aware of their surroundings, are hearing um, sounds, and, and what we see here is also that this unborn child experiencing joy as a natural response to the presence of of Christ, and really that is the most natural response to being in the presence of Christ is is joy, and you you think about. Um, we used to have ducks when I was little, and the little baby ducks. The first time you'd put them in water, like they kind of would sink a little bit, but they would swim and float and just kind of head off. Um, that it was it was natural for them to float, or, or when it, when a human baby tastes its mother's milk, that there was a response of wanting to, to drink, and it's the same for somebody who is who's regenerate, who, uh, is born again. That that, that that this natural response of, of joy in what God is doing in the world. And that's why even as you kind of chart through Christ's ministry, this, this theme of, of joy pops up over and over again. We see the, the angels rejoicing at Christ's appearance in chapter two. We see the, the shepherds rejoicing when they come to the manger and see see Jesus. I mean this is part of the reason that you know Christmas joys on you know wrapping paper and it's on cards and and it's sort of like the word hope. Like Sometimes we don't think about what it, what it means. But joy is such an important part of the, the Christmas season because it's at this very res- immediate response of Jesus entering into life. And then, of course, it followed to the, the Magi when they met Jesus. It says that they, they rejoice. Um, on Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters uh, Jerusalem, the crowd rejoices. When the women come back from the empty tomb after the resurrection, they're rejoicing when the disciples see Jesus alive, they rejoice, they rejoice at his ascension, they rejoice when the Spirit comes down at Pentecost, that it's this natural response. And that's why even the Bible talks about rejoicing so much. I mean, it's interesting if you have a concordance or some way of doing a word study, just look at the word joy and rejoice or rejoice, rejoices. Um, And it pops up hundreds and hundreds of times. And here's just a a few examples. Romans 5.2. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Um, And that's not just rejoicing because all circumstances are good, but that's rejoicing even in the midst of suffering and persecution. Or Philippians... 4.4, 4.4, four. Paul writing this from, from prison, um, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Or 1 Peter 1.8, it says, Though you do, do not now see him, Christ, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Or John 15.11, um, Jesus says that these things I have spoken to you that my joy, the joy of Jesus, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And that, that, that what is what Jesus is doing, that our joy might be full and complete in Christ. And so, with this in, in mind then, I think that the question that we have to always ask ourselves is, where are we in the joy in our, our life, in the joy that we have before the Lord? And I think depending on, on where we are, that's quite often we can look and see, I don't see a lot of joy welling up in my heart as a response to, to Jesus. And, and, that, and that's true, that that we go through different spiritual seasons um, in life. Um, but when we, when we don't see this kind of joy welling up within ourselves, uh, that something, something is wrong, something isn't quite working the way that it's supposed to work. You know, it's like the duck that gets in water and sinks or, um, or the, the baby that refuses its mother's milk. It happens, but yet some step needs to be taken to address it. And so what then are, are the, the steps or what do we do if we don't sense this kind of joy welling up within us? Um, well, I mean, here's just a few few thoughts. Um, the first is to, to keep up spiritual disciplines in your life. That I think sometimes when we feel a lack of joy, that we want to just suspend everything that we're doing. Um, and, but we should keep praying, reading our Bible, sharing our faith with others, worshiping with others, that, that nothing comes from cutting us off from the, the means that God has actually given to strengthen and to encourage us. But then the second thing I think when, we, when we're really longing and needing joy um, is the very thing we were saying with Mary, where she surrounded herself with somebody who could be um, an encouragement, and that's a great place of the church. So it's not that we just kind of keep things balled up in ourselves and just try to act like we have all kinds of joy when we actually don't, um, but it's all right. I mean, Somebody that you, tr- you trust, somebody who cares, who you can say, hey, I'm really struggling with joy. Um, and I think that, that quite often struggles flourish in darkness, or, and struggles flourish when they're hidden. But often I think struggles that are, are brought to light, that sometimes they tend to evaporate in the light. But then the, the next thing is that, yes, we go to, to others, but also go to the Lord in, in prayer. The Bible says in James 1, verse 5, that if anyone lacks wisdom— he can ask God, and God will will provide wisdom graciously to those who ask. And really, it's the, the same promise holds out for, for joy, that, that we can ask God for joy, the natural response that comes from, from knowing Christ, and that, that he is, is faithful to give. But then the, the very last thing to think about there is just, though, that sometimes then also, we have to, to wait on the Lord. That, that even as we're praying, we're talking about it with others, we're uh, persevering in, in the church and spiritual disciplines, that, that sometimes it feels like, man, I'm just wallowing <laughs> in a lack of joy, and it seems like it's not coming. And I think that that's where just the constant call of Scripture to, to wait on the Lord and continue knowing that he is faithful and he will provide, that, that joy is something that comes the work of the spirit in God's good timing. But when the joy does come though, it can look really different in different circumstances. Because I mean, first of all, there's different cultural responses to joy. Um, I mean you just know this as you travel around the world that not every culture responds the, the same way when they're excited. Uh, but then even within a culture, different people respond in different ways. You know, some people it might be, you know, physical movement, like John leaping in the womb. Um, or so for some people, it's, it's speaking about God, as John will do later on in his ministry when he sees Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But then the, the Bible also talks about other responses to joy that overflow within us. It could be playing music, singing to the Lord, reading the Bible giving generously financially, memorizing scripture, studying theology, praying fervently, counseling the broken, serving the poor, gathering with others, celebrating the Lord's Supper, um, so many different ways that, that joy might manifest itself. So it's not going to look the same for everything, everyone and every time, but yet it is this this natural part of the, the Christian life and this natural response. So we, we've looked then at At Mary. We've looked at at John, his response. But let's just wrap up then by looking at Elizabeth's response to to Jesus. Look at verse 41, that after Jesus leaped in the womb, it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. And and so um, even before the the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, that, that Elizabeth here has um, this, this pouring out of the Spirit. It's almost like one of the, the prophets of old in the, the Old Testament. The Spirit comes upon them, and, and they prophesy. And, and what, what she says, though, is, is it's apparently loud, that, that Luke goes really out of his way to express this. He says that she exclaimed, and she cried out with a loud voice. And so again, psychologizing Mary, um, but you might wonder just, okay, what, what, what's her response? I mean, this godly old, older woman, you know, she, said, she says hi, and then all of a sudden she starts crying out with a loud voice, exclaiming to the Lord. I mean, um, and we don't know exactly even what Zachariah, is he in the room? Remember, he can't talk at this point. He can't talk until John is born, so is he, is he listening to her cry out? Um, and, you know, sometimes the response of joy is, is silence, awe, but, but here it's being loud and, and boisterous. <laughs> um, but what does she say in her loud cry then? And, and the first thing she says to Mary is, blessed are you among women. In other words, she's saying that, that Mary is the most blessed woman in history, that that there are plenty of women who are who are blessed throughout scripture, but there's this the special privilege and, and blessedness of bearing the, the Son of God. But then Elizabeth doesn't leave it there. She adds something else very important. So she says, Blessed are you among women, and then second, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And the fruit of your womb is a poetic way of talking about the child with, within her. And so in a way, this is what this is saying is. Yes, Mary, you are, you are blessed of the Lord, now, I'm uniquely blessed. But even that, that blessedness for her isn't just rooted in her own inherent goodness and righteousness. That, As we saw, and we'll look at more next week, when she sings in just a moment, she says, God, my Savior, that she saw her own need for a Savior in her life as, as a believer. But yet she is blessed because of the Blessed One, Within her, and that she is blessed in and through her son, Jesus Christ. And so then, the, this blessedness of, of Mary and ultimately of Jesus uh, leads Elizabeth into this other response to Jesus, and it's humility. Look at verse 43. She says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so, I mean, she could have been the, the older woman instructing the, the younger woman. She could have even taken the posture of, of just wanting to exalt God's, what God's work in her life, her own son, John, who would be this amazing prophet. But instead, what she does is she's just completely overwhelmed and amazed at the grace and the mercy of God that God would appear to her of all people, And and this is somebody who is this wise, godly woman of Israel who who is commended, remember, earlier in chapter 1 as being um, righteous before the Lord, as this Old Testament believer who who yet doesn't begin to to list all of her her deeds and achievements, but feels this sense of unworthiness. And I think that, that this is just such a great picture for us as well of Of this encounter with Jesus when he enters that we don't just look at him and say hey let me list all of the the good things that I have done today or her voice asks you know what have you done today for the good of humanity and that was a good question (laughs) Um, um but you know it's not those things that we that we list when we come into the the presence of Christ but the the response is to say who am I who am I Lord that that I, I'm not anyone who has anything to, to offer to God, and it, why would, would Christ come and visit us, even us, here today? And I think that, that Elizabeth shows this deep sense of humility, even by the way she, she talks to Mary about Jesus. She, she calls Mary the mother of my Lord. And so through the Spirit, she has this uncanny knowledge of Jesus' identity even before really anyone else is clearly seeing who Jesus is. But she knows this isn't just another baby. This isn't just a great prophet. Um, This isn't just a good moral teacher that is in the womb. But this is the Lord. And not just a Lord, but she says, of my Lord. And the Bible just makes it so clear that this confession to say that Jesus is my Lord is at the very heart of the Christian confession. And the scripture says that if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. That's the, the root of, of Christianity. And really, this is our response as well, that, that we don't just believe he exists in. We don't just say, well, you're very blessed and your mother is blessed. But we, we say, no, God, you are in the, the driver's seat of my life, that you are actually my Lord who rules and controls, and that my response is to say, who am I, Lord, that my Savior would, would come to me, and I want to admit I can't do it in, in trust in you.